If we can change that and help people feel really happy and content and fulfilled with who they are, where they are in their life right now, and still have goals that matter to them that they're moving towards, I mean, for me, that's what a successful life is. Welcome back, guys. In today's episode, we have on a happiness expert, Declan Edwards. Declan is the founder of BU Coaching and has been researching happiness for a number of years. In today's episode, we dive into his takeaways from a recent silent retreat that he went on with his BU Coaching clients. We then go into his experience with deleting social media and his takeaways from that, and then some tips for setting boundaries, bringing it back into his life. All right, I'll leave it with you guys. Enjoy the episode. You're tuning into the High Performance Path podcast, and I'm your host, Alex. If you want to increase your productivity, enhance your mental performance, hack your sleep, and build a bulletproof body, then you're in the right place. Get ready as we dive into interviews with performance coaches, business owners, and health professionals to find out their daily routines, habits, and movement practices. All right, let's go. You have a pretty solid morning routine, like uh, consistent. It's getting back on track now. Yeah. After, yeah. So I sort of, it's had slid for a little while over the last few months. And that was one, one of my big takeaways from the silent retreat was like, mm. actually, you know what? I want to get back on that. Yeah, cool. So yeah, let's get back. Well, let's dive now. into that a little bit. Yeah, if nice. you, like if you could have the perfect morning, mm. what would your morning routine be? For me at the moment, uh, Especially, you know, living rurally, we've got these beautiful sunrises out there. So I think mm. getting up to see the sunrise is really nice. Oh, best way to start a day. Oh, hey. gorgeous. And then a slow and intentional start to the day. So for me, that could be either a bit of yoga, a bit of meditation, a bit of breath work. I'm actually loving mindful painting at the moment. So I've got uh, like paint by numbers kits. Mindful painting. Yeah. So there's something huh. about like using my hand in a way, you know, obviously there's a physicality to it. Yeah. And I just find I can be a lot more present with it than if I'm just doing like a seated silent meditation. Mm. So I found that really enjoyable. And then from there, uh, I'll plan out my day. Yeah, and cool. kind of go, what's the high priorities today? I tend to try and ask myself, not only what's on my to-do list, but like what's my heart craving today? Like what's something I want to give back to myself today? Mm-hmm. And just be curious about what comes up because it could be anything from a hike to, you know, to some exercise to actually I want to get ahead on some life admin stuff and do my chores and catch up mm-hmm. and clean the place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a little bit of that introspective time in the morning. That's my ideal at the moment. Yeah. Nice. How long does that roughly take or does it, does it vary based on what you kind of feel? Yeah, it varies a bit. I'd say on average about 30 to 40 minutes at most. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually coming off the back of the, recently we did that silent meditation retreat to come off the back of that. I've quite enjoyed. I'd love to ask you more about that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, man. So like really enjoyed actually, that's where I got the mindful painting or mindful drawing from, but also Tai Chi. Yep. Never thought I'd be super into it, mm. but really enjoy it. Like, so I just look up a YouTube, you know, 10 minute Tai Chi morning yep. lesson, something free that I can jump on and just follow along with. Oh, cool. Um, and that's been fantastic. I'll have to try that. Yeah. I actually really enjoy it. Again, I think for me, there's something quite beautiful and it helps me become a lot more present of engaging not only the mind, but the body as well. Mm. Like I still enjoy and get a lot out of like seated silent meditation. I, mean, I do definitely struggle with it a lot more. Like my mind will wander more. It'll get more busy. Mm. Whereas if it's something like a mindful walk or the mindful drawing or Tai Chi, which uses your body as well, or yoga, mm. I just find I can get a little bit more out of it. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, I've been trying to lean more into practices that combine 
looking after the physical self as well as you know, our mental and emotional well-being. Great. Now, you just mentioned before um, the silent retreat. I'd love to dive into that a bit because I, I've wanted to do a silent retreat. That's uh-huh. been on my, not my, it's been on my bucket list, I guess. Mm. Not my goals for this year, but something that I want to commit to doing at some point. Now, you mentioned just before the podcast that you took some of your BU coaching members and you all did a silent retreat. So why don't you tell the listeners a bit about BU coaching, what it what it's all about and kind of what, what you do. Yeah, fantastic, man. So uh, BU coaching, the best way I can describe it to people these days is we're a happiness college. And of course, people go, well, what is a happiness college? What's it mean? Mm. And from our perspective, you know, a lot of our education in life is focused on technical skills and hard skills. You know, it's what's going to get you into the career path. And don't get me wrong, that's valuable, it's useful. But what we're really missing opportunities to learn in life is what we previously called soft skills. I try not to call them soft skills anymore because I think it devalues them. I call them human skills. But they're the things that uniquely make us human. So things like resilience, stress management, emotional intelligence, knowing your purpose and meaning in life. What does it mean to be happy and fulfilled? Uh, And what's interesting is, you know, Deloitte, for example, released a study recently that said by 2030, two-thirds of all jobs are going to be reliant on human skills. So soft skills. Soft skills, right? Because of artificial intelligence, machine learning, all that. And I'm like, we are vastly underdeveloped as a society in these. Mm. We have a huge problem with mental health, with emotional literacy, emotional awareness. So four and a half years ago, I went, how cool would it be if there was a college that people could go to that used evidence-based, scientific, practical tips and tools to live happier, more fulfilling lives. And I found out no one was really doing that yet. We decided to do it ourselves and combined five different fields of research. And yeah, over the last four and a half years now, we've had uh, members and graduates in the college in five different countries. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to now start doing consulting for workplace happiness and helping workplaces with their well-being and their staff happiness. And it's been really meaningful to see the ripple effect that spreads from that, right? Because I'm a huge believer that happiness and well-being and living a happy and meaningful life doesn't just impact us as individuals what allows us to then do and spread to the world and to others i think that's the beauty of it Mm. so i have no way of actually understanding the full scope of what we've been able to do as an organization over the last four and a bit years because i don't know the lives that we've touched that we may never actually meet our members going home and being happier means they're normally in healthier relationships they're better parents they're better employees, they're better leaders, they're better mm. versions of themselves. And the impact that that makes past just them, that's what inspires me every day. That's really cool to actually think about that and how that is a ripple effect. Mm. You know, if, you, if someone is happier, they usually work better, they're more productive, they're a better friend, a better parent, like just like you were saying. So there's a ripple effect. 100%. That's really cool. And like, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think that's spot on where it's like happiness comes first and then all these things follow. And I think for so long as a society, and I can admit I've done the same thing, you know, you fall into the hedonic treadmill or the happiness trap of I'll be happy when. Mm. And we actually reverse that equation. Instead of going, hang on, when I'm happier and more fulfilled, I am a better partner or I have more fulfilling relationships or I work hard, you know, I'm more effective at work. I'm more likely to get promotions and pay rises. We flip it and we go, when I get a pay rise, I'll be happy. Or when I get the new job, I'll be happy. Or when I have a partner, I'll be happy. It's like we're always gambling happiness mm. on the next step. And then, of course, as we get close to that next step, what we celebrate for five minutes, then we change the goal again. And it's just so many people are stuck on that 
treadmill of chasing happiness around the next goal, but never quite catching it. And so for us, I'm like, if we can change that and help people feel really happy and content and fulfilled with who they are, where they are in their life right now, and still have goals that matter to them that they're moving towards, I mean, for me, that's what a successful life is. Mm. Right? Blending those two together. Yeah. One of the things I actually wanted to ask you, I want to ask you what your definition of success is in mm. your own words, because mm. it's the definition is going to be different for every single person based on what their values are mm-hmm. and what they enjoy. Mm. So I want to know in your words, what's your definition of success? I love that you frame it that way too, because I'm so uh, I'm such a stickler for highlighting to people and for the people listening to this, I want to highlight I've been fortunate enough in the work I do, being a happiness researcher and doing the study I do, to be seen as you know, a quote-unquote expert in happiness and, and well-being and whatnot. But I'm quick to highlight, like, I'm never going to be an expert in you because I've not lived your life. So you're yeah. right. Like every, The people listening to this, it's like, yeah, take this and go what aligns with me and what doesn't. So for me personally as an individual, my definition of a successful life is a happy life. And then I go, well, what's my definition of a happy life? And for me, I, I imagine within myself, this is my little thought experiment I play with, there's an inner CEO, Declan, who's very much masculine energy, very much head-based leadership, very structured, very driven, very forward-focused. Ticking goals. Exactly. Getting shit done. Right? And then there's an inner monk, Declan, who's, you might call it more feminine energy, you might call it more heart-based leadership, you might call it more present-focused and they both want what's best for me. It's just sometimes they're going in different directions, right? They're sort of arguing a little bit. <laughs> or sometimes I lean into listening to one too much and I ignore the other. For a lot of my life, I was very much in head-based leadership, very much in the masculine, very much forward-focused, missing out on enjoying now. And so I've been practicing a lot more over the last few years, connecting more with my inner monk. But for me, like, what is a happy life is when my inner monk and my inner CEO are both bringing their strengths to the table. Mm. I'm able to, and I don't necessarily like the term balance because it suggests that you need to be perfectly equal between them at all times. And I don't think that's the case. Mm. I think there's times in life where it would be better to lean more into my inner CEO and other times that are better to lean into my inner monk. I think the goal for me is, do I have flexibility? Am I able to step into the strengths of either one of these sides of me and bring it to the table when it's most useful and beneficial? Mm. Right? So that's been like my journey over these eight years now of quite intensively working on myself and my internal skill sets, emotional intelligence and my personal development, if I boiled it down to like one core thing, it would be that. Can I get these two sides of me that can sometimes clash to actually be in alignment? Mm. That's the goal. Nice. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I want to go back to the silent, silent retreat. Mm. So how many days was the silent retreat? So it was about two and a half. So it's a nice little like dip your toe in the yep. water. Have so, you done one before? Yeah. So the same one actually. Yep. So two years ago, I went and uh, got a lot of it out of it personally. I intentionally went on my own. Yeah. Didn't want to know anyone there. I was like, I just want to do this myself. And it was funny because it was nice to highlight the difference this time around. Obviously, this time going with a bunch of our members at our happiness college. And also we took all of our staff. Like we went as a big experience together. The first time I went there, one of my biggest takeaways and lessons from it, we do throughout the retreat, it's, it's actually quite a structured one. So it's a nice way to dip your toe in the water. Uh, it's not like, hey, you're here for 10 days, all silence, no guidance, 
go, right? It's like you'll have classes on. So it'll be like, hey, we're going to do a mindful drawing class. We're going to do Tai Chi or we're going to do yoga, mindful breathing. And Mm. there's sort of like a bit of structure, but you then got um, uh, introspection and reflection time Mm, after each practice. I think that's really good. Yeah, it works out really well. You know, if you had three days of silent and like no plans, just do whatever, I'd be like, what now? What do I do? (laughs) Right. And so the first time I ever went, I got there as early as you were allowed to check in. Yeah. And they have five hours of just self-reflection time to start you off before everyone else arrives and you do the formalized classes. Mm. And so you put your robes on. It's at a Buddhist monastery down in um, Wollongong. Yep. And so you put your robes on. I'm walking around. I'm like, this is so beautiful. It's so calming. I'm relaxed. I'm looking at the birds. I'm looking at the ducks in the pond. And I was like, oh, it's probably been about five hours. I should go get ready for the first class. And there's only one clock in the whole place. Oh, really? And so I went over and found the clock and they advised not having watches. And they so you didn't have a phone? No you? phones. Yep. yep. And they recommend no books, yep. no journals. No journals. Nothing. Really? So nothing th- external yeah, focused. Okay. I would have thought that would be a really useful tool, having a journal yeah. over, over the, uh, the retreat. Yeah. Well, they're trying to teach like even detachment from our realizations mm. of like, you know, the compulsive need to catch a thought. Mm. We're going to let go of that for three days Man, too. I think I would struggle with that. It's tough. I would be like... I'm going to forget all these things that I've... Exactly. These realizations I've had. Yeah. I and so... That really tough. I, that first time I ever went, I was like, it's probably been five hours. I went and looked at the clock. It had been two. <sighs> and immediately, I just went into panic. I was like, what am I doing here? Oh my God, what am I meant to do for the next three hours? This is mm. such a waste of time. And I really struggled. And then throughout the retreat, there was this one guy. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Now, remember, this is a silent retreat, so we don't talk to anyone there. And I just decided that I did not like this guy at all. I was like, stuff this guy. He's really? rubbing me the wrong way. Like, it, And it took me a bit to be reflective and be like, well, hang on. He hasn't said anything. We've not interacted. He can't be making me feel this way. Mm. I'm making myself feel this way. Wow. And he's just the trigger. What's the trigger? And I sat with it and realized he was playing full out. Like every class we did, he went full into it. He committed. Mm. And I was like, why is that upsetting me? Mm. And I realized to myself that there'd been a lot of areas in my life at that time where I wasn't playing full out. I wasn't committing. You know, I wasn't deep diving and committing myself wholeheartedly to my marriage. I wasn't doing it to my business. I wasn't doing it in my health. I was dabbling in a lot of areas. And so my big lesson from the first time I went was like, dude, this is the change. And then when I went back this time, my big realization, my big lesson was uh, obviously taking a bunch of members now to facilitate it. It was quite a mindful and intentional thing for me stepping into that silent retreat again to go, I'm not responsible for other people's journey here. It's not my job to make sure they have a good time. Mm. It's not my purpose to make sure that they have breakthroughs and to let go of that and not feel like I'm meant to be the pilot in their journey was really freeing for me. But what was also beautiful because we had a pre silent retreat sort of intention setting with everyone going and I shared that with them. And at the end, we did a debrief and they said, we actually want to thank you for that because it gave us the room and space to step up as our own pilots. Mm. You know, Declan's not leading this. I'm leading this for me. Mm. I think that was really beautiful. So both times I've gone, I've had very different realizations from it, but quite profound and beautiful ones. And I think that's what happens when we give ourselves space to slow down and to look inside and go introspective for a little bit. And so it's something I may mean to continue doing, not necessarily doing three days of silence with no Mm. phones and no journals, but finding little moments of introspection and presence and silence in my day-to-day life Mm. has made a difference. Nice. How do you, um, 
is there any tips or tools that you use to find those moments of silence throughout your day? I find for me personally, I'm more likely to slip into them as I alluded to before when I'm involving my body in some way, mm. but also when I'm outside, interestingly enough. In nature. Yeah, I think there's a, something to be said about nature. It's not as fast paced as human life mm. and yet everything that needs to get done gets done. And so that would be a big one. The other one is um, tech free time. So even if I'm indoors, hanging out at home, you know, whatever it may be, if I'm reading, having a nice, you know, uh, present weekend, mm. I've noticed that if I just turn the phone off, put the yeah. laptop away, try and be away from tech for like half a day, it makes a difference. Yeah. I think a lot of people would struggle to be without their phone for even an hour. Oh, yeah. You know, people, um, if you leave home, or if someone leaves home and they forgot their phone, it's like full panic, like can't go a day without my phone, cannot do it, mm -hmm. which is fair enough. Some people need their phone, but that panic of like, where's my phone? I've lost it. I mean, I think most people have experienced that. Yep. You get up from a table, you're out maybe with some friends and you check your phone, you check your pockets, phone keys, wallet, the, you know, the, yeah. the triple tap. Yep. Where's my phone? Instant panic starts. People are petrified of not mm. being with their phone. Which is interesting, right? Because like we had, it was one of the biggest anxieties leading up to the three-day silent meditation retreat with some of our freshman members at the college, their parents. And so for many years for them, they have had that over-responsibility and that, you know, that ownership of looking after the family. Yeah. And so the idea of being like non-contactable for two and a half days. Yeah. Obviously, you know, I'm a big fan of the saying, anxiety thrives in ambiguity. And so for them, the ambiguity of not knowing what was happening at home, yeah, not knowing how the kids were behaving, not knowing if something went wrong, was really hard for them to deal with and to let go of. You know, there's obviously solutions there. If anything terrible happens, you give the contact number of the temple to your family. They call the temple, the temple alerts you. So there's yeah. ways around so there it. Is, so there is processes to be contacted exactly. in emergencies. Exactly. But it's almost like it was interesting watching their minds pre-rehearse worst case scenario yeah. before we were even there where it's like if there's a worst case scenario and there wasn't luckily but mm. touch wood you know hopefully there's not there is a process there to deal with it but still our mind preempts it and worries and pre-plans mm. and so it was nice funnily enough for nearly all of them their big key takeaway it was so nice to not be contactable for a weekend yeah. and to just have that time to focus on themselves yeah that's good nice that's really cool I think I'm going to I um, I really want to do a silent retreat, and I think uh three well, was that over a weekend? Yeah, so, so like a two and a half day. I would exactly. imagine it's like a you get there Friday night or Friday afternoon. Yeah, so the formal lessons the start at six on a Friday, but you can check in as early as midday. Yeah, so that's where you can have like the six hours at the start. Yeah, cool. I want to ask you about social media. Mm. I know that you deleted social media for a while. Mm. Um, I think this was last year. Yeah, mainly Instagram. So I haven't had Facebook on my phone for ages, yeah, okay. years. Like I'll still have it for the purpose of the business mm. and, and what we do with BU. It's still a yeah. nice way to make an impact. I'm very grateful to have an incredible team member, Nate, who you know, we're yeah, friends know Nate. with Nate, uh, who manages that all for me now. Yeah. But Instagram was the big one. Yeah. I was like, I'm actually going to take some time away from this. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a month. 14 months later, I was still not back on it. Really? So yeah. you initially started off with the goal for getting it off your phone for a month? Yep. 
and then you stuck with it for 14 months. Accidentally. Like that was interesting. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I shouldn't go on Instagram, but I better not get on. I didn't feel the need to bring it back into my yeah. life. I'm back on it now. Yeah. But I'm very intentional and mindful about how I use it. The reason I took what was initially going to be a month off turned into 14 months. And this is something I'd prompt for the listeners to reflect on with themselves. I asked, am I using social media or is social media using me? And my big answer at the time was social media was using me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had to post a certain amount of times. I was getting addicted to the likes of and like going, okay, this isn't this story, this message isn't successful unless it hits X amount of people. Am I growing my following here? I lost the meaning and the why of why I show up on social media in the first place. Mm. And so I was also getting in the comparison trap. You know, I was following other businesses and other mm. people being like, oh, well, why aren't we where they are? You know, I want to be what yeah, they're doing. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Man, it's so... And I want to highlight, you know, I was falling into these traps and I've been working on myself and my self-awareness and my personal growth for eight years and I've and been studying still, this stuff for four and a half. And you still fall in the trap. Exactly, mm. right? So like, it happens to all of us. I think it's a very human thing to fall into. Taking that time off was one of the best things I did. And then coming back, it was... I'm now very much, for everyone who does follow me on Instagram, you'll see I'm very sporadic with posting. Might be once a week, (laughs) might be twice a week. Uh, And it's more, I'm just going to share something when I feel that it's going to make a difference in someone's life. Yeah. And I'm very detached now from the outcome of it. Once it's up, it's up. Yeah. What it does past that is not my job or responsibility. Yeah. My job is to share and to communicate these messages and talk about happiness and share these tips and tools. Mm. What people do with them is outside of my scope. Yeah. And that's been challenging to let go of, but very freeing as well. Mm. What's out of, after like the, the first month or even longer, what's something that you didn't think that you would realize? Like what's a, what's a takeaway you got from that that kind of surprised you? Uh, there's two that come to mind. So one, I noticed I was actually a lot more present with people in my life. And it's something I'm actually very mindful of now. I was joking with you before that, uh, just before we jumped on the show that last night we had the end of season grand finale basketball game for the team I play on. And I invited everyone around to our place for, for dinner and we all put our phones away and, you know, we had a bit of music playing and stuff. We were sitting around a fire, Mm. all catching up. You know, next thing I knew we lose track of time. No one's looking at the time. And it's like, you know, 1 a.m. in the morning. 1 a.m. But I think what's cool with that is like, we were so present with each other. We we're connected. And I've been to other events before where, you know, people are sort of, you know, you had dinner and you, people are on their phone mm. and they're trying to talk to each other. So that was a big one. And the other big one, funnily enough, coming out of the comparison trap of getting stuck in, well, we're not where I want to be yet. Other people are doing this. We should be doing this. Mm. It allowed me to be really grateful for what we already have both professionally, the work we've done as an organization and with BU, I'm so proud of and so grateful for. And I've got mm. so much more perspective on that now, uh, as well as personally. I'm so blessed. And I think 90% of the people listening to this, they're in the same sort of boat. We get stuck in this comparison trap of, you know, I, you know, I need to make $100,000 a year or I need to have mm. the house, or I need to do this. Like the reality is, if you, I think I checked it the other day. It's like if you earn over 16,000 Australian a year, you're in the 1% wealthiest people in the world. Wow. Like Six. we are already in the 1%. Yeah. And we, I think we lose touch of that, right? If you have running water and electricity and you make 16 grand a year Australian, you are the wealthiest 1%. Mm-hmm. Like we have a blessed life. We're already living the dream life. Yeah. 
And I think social media can sometimes take away from that. Definitely. So those would be the two ones that hit home for me. Great. I like them. Because I actually got rid of social media for 30 days. Yeah, nice. I didn't want to get it back afterwards. Right. You know, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I just noticed like one thing I noticed was how people grab their phones out. Like people are so impatient Mm. and they just, I don't know what, people just want that dopamine hit of a new message or a notification. Even when you, if you're in line to get some food and you're maybe the second person in the queue, the person in front of you is ordering, people pull their phone out because they can't wait 20 seconds to order. It's like, oh, I've got to spare 15 seconds. I'm just going to go and quickly scroll. Like that's, that's bad. Yep. And I, I noticed that because I wasn't pulling my phone out because without the social media, I didn't have that urge to keep checking if I have messages or notifications or whatever. And I noticed how often everyone else does it. Yeah. That's something that I noticed. Yeah. And that's bad. If you can't, you know, wait 30 seconds in a line without checking your, your phone, yep. that's not healthy. It comes back to that question that I asked, right? Is is social media using you or are you using it? I think there it's clearly using them. I want to highlight, people have asked me regularly before on podcasts, is social media good or bad for happiness and for mental health? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think there's a clear-cut answer on that. I think it's Mm. how intentional are are you with it? I think if you're intentional with it, it can actually add a lot of value. Especially, exactly. Especially of what's happened, you know, with the last year. It's interesting as a society, especially in Western cultures, where the most connected we've ever been before I say that in air quotations for the listeners. Uh, but we're also reporting the highest rates of loneliness. Mm, that's that we've very ever interesting. Had, right? We can reach out to someone like, you know, with a touch of a button. Previous generations never had that. Mm. But we feel more lonely than ever because we're missing the depth in the connection. Mm. In saying that, I think if you're intentional with social media usage and you have boundaries around it, you can actually form some great connections. Meet people that you've never, never met before, be part of like-minded communities, find niche topics that you're passionate about and mm. connect with other people who like those topics. Yeah. The danger comes when we're not intentional. Again, are we yeah. being mindful with social media or are we mindless with it? Yeah. Right? And if we're mindful with it, fantastic. Mm. We're mindless, probably something to reflect on. Um, bringing up boundaries and being intentional with your social media use, I want to actually bring up a topic about you know, social media use and emails and messages and being so connected. A lot of workplaces now and boss bosses or managers, because we're so connected, you know, you're just in a message away, you're nearly expected to reply any minute of the day. Doesn't matter if you're at work or at home, you're nearly expected to participate in social media and replying to messages. And I think that can be dangerous because we're so connected. There's almost like an unhealthy expectation of participation in social media. And if, you know, if everyone else you work with, you know, if, if everyone else has that same expectation and they're doing it, you're kind of expected to do it like everyone else is as well. Yeah. And that can be quite hard to set boundaries and limits, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so, I want to ask what boundaries and uh, or limits that you personally put on your own social media use after bringing it back mm. so that it's, you know, a healthy um, relationship. Yeah. So the big one for me, uh, I still don't have Facebook on my phone. Yep. 
Uh, I'm waiting for the way that I can have Instagram not on my phone. It's just yeah. obviously a little bit harder to manage. It's designed to be on the phone. Mm. Facebook's not on the phone. Even when I use Facebook on my laptop for yep. work stuff, uh, I use Google Chrome. And there is a free plugin you can get called Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator that deletes the newsfeed. Really? So you log into Facebook and instead of there being pictures and stuff that everyone's doing, it gives you a quote of the day. And so you literally can't get stuck in the scroll. There's that's, nothing to scroll. That's really cool. Right? It's amazing. It's free. Like everyone listening to this, use Google Chrome, download it. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Dude, it's so cool. So yeah, Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator. Uh, that way I can still be intentional with Facebook, right? I can still use it to connect with groups that I'm part of. I can still use it for Facebook messaging. I can mm. still use it to video call friends that are overseas. Yep. But there's no feed. Yep. So that's been a huge one for me. With Instagram... Uh, a big one I've been practicing is I've moved the app further along in my little swipe thing. So it just adds another choice point. Add some friction to, to actually go exactly. into the app. Make it a little bit tougher. Yeah. I've been, I'm, look, I recognize I'm a very privileged and fortunate position. That I'm very grateful for where I don't manage the company's Instagram yeah. anymore. Yeah. I've got a team member who helps with that. Nate is phenomenal. It's amazing. That's been a huge help. Mm. With my personal one, I try and set a boundary with myself of, before posting anything, asking, does this add value? Like, almost like, why am I posting this? So we look at Simon Sinek, right? Coming back to start with why rather than how and what. Yep. Rather cool. than going, how am I doing social media? Or what am I posting on social media? Why am I even on social media in the first place? Mm. And that's when you join. With emails, it's interesting that you mentioned emails because I think so many people get stuck in that trap, especially with work. Yeah, I've recently started doing, I only check my emails three times a day. Yeah, 9 a.m., midday, 5 p.m. Yeah, That's it. Uh, one of the best things I ever saw actually was another podcast had an autoresponder for outside of work hours Yeah, uh, that said, hey, this is outside of work hours, so I'm not going to respond till I'm back at, in the office. Next day or whatever. Whatever it may be, right? If this is an emergency, please reflect on the fact that there is no such thing as a podcast emergency <laughs> and that nothing that we do here really is life or death. <laughs> what a response and I was like what an amazing auto responder to get people to reflect on because I think so often people send a message or an email from a place of urgency mm. especially with workplaces they're like hey I need this done now uh, Josh who works with us at BU he calls it injections you know people are just injecting things into your calendar mm. and if you're not mindful around hang on is this actually important to me is this actually a priority is this actually an emergency it's easy to fall into that state of stress because everything feels like it needs to be done immediately. Mm. Yeah. Realistically, most stuff will be fine to be done the next day, mm. maybe even the next week. Yeah. We've just got to have the power to, again, be mindful and reflective on that and intentional. And a lot of people, I think, struggle with that. Mm. Nice. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit. You mentioned a book, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Mm. I, I do ask a book recommendation from all my from all my guests that come on. Uh -huh. So do you have a book that you want to recommend to the people listening? It could be about anything or it could be a couple books. I've been really enjoying that. It's funny, I, I tend to pose people a similar question, but I do it as if there was a library that had all of the knowledge in the world, you could go into that library and go to one section and absorb every bit of knowledge ever known to human beings about one topic, where do you intuitively go? Right. It's a nice way to find what you're really passionate about. Mm. And Bill, for me, obviously, because of the work I do, they're like, oh, you'll go to self-help. Mm. You'll go to personal development. You'll yeah. go to psychology, et cetera. You'll go to business, maybe. Consistently, mine is biographies. Yeah, okay. I'm fascinated by people. Yeah. 
right? Which I think why I do what I do and why I'm very grateful to do what I do yeah. for a living. But one I'm enjoying, well, one that I'm leaning into currently and, and really enjoying, Barack Obama's most recent biography. Oh, yeah. I've heard that's really good. Fantastic. It's a big read as yeah, a warning I've to the listeners. It's thick. It'll take a while to get through. So are you listening to it or you're actually reading it? Reading. So I'm um, not an audiobook guy. Not personally, have never really gotten into them. I've tried a bit. Yeah. Um. I think I still really like the physicality of sitting down with a book. I also yep. write notes in the columns yeah. and I underline things and like circle things mm. and I get quite hands on with books. That's uh, the one downside about audiobook because you're usually listening to it while you're doing something. Exactly. But if you're doing something like driving, for example, you can't just stop and write notes or highlight something. Exactly. Um. I think audio. I think Audible has a function where you can save clips. Yes. I'm not really, I don't really use that. Mm-hmm. I kind of, um, you know, I listen to the book mm-hmm. and then I will mentally take notes and be like, that would be a good thing to highlight or whatever. And then I'll actually watch a YouTube summary. Oh, that's cool. Nice. Of that same yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And then I'll write some notes from what I remember. Yeah, nice. From So it's kind of like you listen to the book and then you listen to a summary and then you can write notes again. So mm. it's kind of like a double, it's kind of, like double dipping on a book. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, re- reading a physical book is always better because you can take notes and save things and 100%. highlight. So yeah, like if I was to, can we cheek and give a top three recommendations instead of a top one? It's hard to get just one. Yeah. Like I think top like, three. Top three? Yeah. So obviously the one I'm reading at the moment, I'll do, I won't do top three as in like the most impactful ones for me. I'll do what am I reading right now? Yeah. Um, obviously Barack Obama's book. Mm. Um, one of the ones that had the biggest impact on me uh, is a book called A Hundred Things by a man named Sebastian Terry. He was actually my first sort of unofficial coach and mentor. He was originally based in Sydney. He's now in LA. Phenomenal guy. He was the first role model I ever had of someone who was very intentionally living life on their terms. Um, I was very fortunate enough to be at his book launch party. It's a phenomenal book. It's basically just sort of his life story, essentially, of going, I'm going to write a list of 100 things that I think will make me happier in life and then pursue them full time and just see what happens. Kind of like 100 Like a bucket list essentially. Yeah. Oh, um, that's really cool. And so he lent into that and had this crazy story. You know, he's like delivered someone's baby. He's been shot. He's been nude skydiving. And then Wait, he's being shot was on his list. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, he had a bulletproof vest on him. He's like, okay. I just want to know what it feels like. And wow. so he's done all these crazy things, but then he's done all these really meaningful things too. Like, you know, raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for charity. He's yeah. saved someone's life. He's mm. like, and reading his book is just his stories, essentially. He wrote a blog for everyone he completed and then they turned that into like a full deep dive book. Nice. Um, it was a nice, for me, example that there's no one path to happiness. And I think if you can start being intentional about what your path looks like as an individual, you're more likely to be a happy, fulfilled person. And so that was a huge one that made an impact on me. That kind of started my personal development journey. I'm still very close friends with him. He's a great guy. Um, and then if I can be super cheeky, the third book recommendation I'll have because I'm all about self-love, is mine. <laughs> I uh, yeah. was fortunate enough to be a published author a couple of years ago. Great. Um, wrote my first self-help book. For me, I wanted to make a book that was quite practical. I, my problem is uh, I found a lot of self-help books were too thick yep. and too dry. I'm like, you could really dilute this, or so d- distill this down into the core takeaways and yep. have it be 150 <coughs> pages instead of 800. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think a lot of people who are starting to explore personal development uh, and personal growth, it's daunting to look at a really big book. Mm. You know, so I wanted to write something. I joked, my uh, publishing agent when we launched it, used to have a joke that it was self-help, not shelf help. 
because <laughs> he said most self-help books just end up on a bookshelf collecting mm. dust and no one reads them. <laughs> and so he said, you know, it's a practical, small, effective book that actually helps people take tangible steps. At the end of every chapter, there's a reflection guide nice. as well as actual, actual, like actionable points. Of yeah. Like, hey, now you've read this, what are you going to do with it? I love those kind of books with like either exercises that you do during it and mm. little things that you can, you know, do right then and there because a lot of people read books, get through it and then don't action anything out of it and after a certain amount of time, you kind of just forget it all, Yeah, you know? So I really like the books where you've got exercises or things to actually think about or write about because mm. that really helps the information sink in. And it helps take it from knowledge to implementation. Yeah, right? I, I'm a huge believer. We've all heard the saying, knowledge is power. Mm. I think that's a load of rubbish. I think knowledge is potential power. If you use it. If you use it. Exactly. Yeah. And too many people get stuck in like, my life will change if I go to the next seminar or the next workshop or I read this next book. But it's like, are you applying any of it? Yeah. Right? And it's such an easy trap to get into. So I'll flick you a, a link. So if the listeners want to grab a copy of the book, yeah, great. Um, we'll What's give them called? a discount code. So you can read it in different ways, funnily enough. It's a book on perception yep. and how what your mind does with uh, life is it creates meaning. Yeah. Right. And so it's not about making external changes. We're talking before about the happiness trap of I'll mm. be happy when. when it's what we do internally that matters. And so the title is reflective of that. It's a bunch of letters squashed together that you can either read as opportunity is now here or opportunity is nowhere. Wow. Or my favorite answer, uh, when it was published, it was featured at the Frankfurt International Book Fair in Germany. And I was flown over and someone was like, opportunity is nowhere. What a disappointing and disheartening name for a self-help book. And I said, oh, how else can you read it? Because this was part of the fun was mm. like, you know, it's literally on the front cover what the book's about in wow. the title. And I said, how else could you read it? And he looked at it and goes, opportunity, I snow here. Which, I mean, is correct. Like, it's not wrong. You can read it that way. But I was just kind of blown away. And I went, mm. what about opportunity is now here? And the guy was like, oh, no, what? I didn't even see that until it was pointed <laughs> out. I'm like, well, where else in your life are there opportunities that you're not seeing? And I think that was sort of the lead in and the purpose for the book was getting people to realize that if we do internal changes and we change our perspective and our perception, we can actually start seeing amazing opportunities for external change. That's really cool. So Yeah, I'll send you a link and um, yeah, anyone wants to grab yeah, it. Yeah, I'll have we'll to grab a copy. To I'll give one to you. Yeah, we'll, I, we'll give I'd one through. I'd love a copy. Yeah, fantastic. And I'll put a link in Beautiful. the show notes for anyone that's listening that wants to grab a copy as well. Yep. Yeah, nice. Easy. That's awesome. What was the next thing I wanted to dive into? Yeah, we were having a chat before the podcast and you mentioned your current living situation, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So where are you currently living? I'm living in a 1969 Viscount caravan that's been converted into a tidy home. Um, I'd say it's a blend of uh, a, a happy accident yep. as well as a bit of intention. My wife and I had been watching... Shows about tiny homes for mm. years yep. and loved the idea of them. Yep. Loved the idea of minimalism, of stepping away from consumerism, of having a life of less stuff but more meaning. Yep. Um, and so we always said one day we might do that. You know, it was almost, a, it was one of those bucket list goals. Yep. You know, one day we'll get to this at some point. Anyway, late last year, so 2020, we had everything set up to move to Dallas, Texas. You'd never guess it from my accent. I'm originally from California. Really? So yeah, so I'm an American citizen. Yep. Uh, the plan was always to go back there and expand BU to make a difference over there. Yeah. Uh, so keep our office in Australia, keep our team doing amazing work, helping mm. the happiness of Australia. And then I'd move over and expand into the US. We had some opportunities come up to do that. 
Uh, we had an apartment in downtown Dallas lined up for us, a co-working space, everything good to go, some partners that were going to help us launch. Nice. And so we leased our house out with all our furniture. And yeah. we're like, we're doing this, it's done. Obviously, what happens in 2020, no one's life goes to plan. COVID happens. COVID happens. And so right at the time when we were still thinking, this will pass. You know, the early optimism of COVID, I was like, this will be a few months. Yeah, and no, that's all over. No one knew how long it was going to happen for. Right. When we're going to be able to travel. Exactly. So for us, we're like, we'll still go. And then we got towards later in the year and went, actually, this is probably not happening. Mm. But we couldn't move back into our original house because we'd leased it out yeah. with all that stuff. And so we went, what are we going to do here? And now, fortunately for me, uh, my wife, Siobhan, her mom has an acreage. And so we had land. And we're like, okay, well, there's land that we can rent. And we can help out on the farm. We can help manage things. You know, it helps Chef's mom out. Uh, what if we live tiny? We've always joked about this. What if we do it? And then by complete uh, fate and coincidence and whatever it may be, you're right, the stars aligning. Two farms over, there was a guy who'd renovated and built out this tiny home for his son who was then moving out of home with his girlfriend. And so there's this van that no one's using. I went, hey, we'd love to move into this and live in it. It has been one of the best things we've ever done mm. to the point where when our lease ended for us to move back into our original home, we decided not to move back in. Oh, that's awesome. Right, we went, we're actually really enjoying how simple life is out here, right? To have, we were talking before the podcast about, you know, the, the joys of uh, life admin and cleaning and staying on top of house chores. Yeah. It takes us five minutes to clean our entire house. Oh, nice. Right? Done and dusted. What it has led to is obviously being remarkably intentional about what we have in that space. Yeah. Because as easy as it is clean, let me promise you, it's very easy to get Bessie as well. Yep. If things don't have a home and a purpose and a place, yeah, it gets real cluttered real quick. <laughs> mm. And so that's been a nice practice for us to go, what actually matters to us to have in our life? And we'd done a bit of that already for the move overseas, but then to go that extra step further of we've gotten rid of most of our stuff for a move overseas, but we're still planning on living in a two-bedroom place over there to we're now living in a space that's not much bigger than most people's living rooms. Mm. So what have you got in the... In- in your house, in your tiny house? Yeah. What are the essentials? What have you got? How many rooms? Uh, no rooms. So it's all one space. Just one space. So we've got a, a bed at one end. Yeah. Uh, and then if you take uh, one step to the right, you will immediately be in the living area. Yeah. <laughs> if you take one more step to the right, you're in my office, which yeah. has a desk <laughs> and a bookshelf. Yeah. And one more step to the right, you're in the kitchen yeah. uh, and the pantry and all that. Uh, we're quite fortunate. So it's got electricity, all that sort of stuff. doesn't have running water, but uh, we've parked it near enough to the main property that we can just walk to use a bathroom there and okay. shower and all that stuff and laundry. Yep. Now, in terms of like personal items that we kept, we kept books. Yep. So we do have a bookshelf in there that's full. We have a whole section of the tiny home dedicated to board games. Oh, nice. Uh, so we got rid of the TV that was in there and filled that with board games instead. Yep. And so when we invite friends around, we've had at most six people in the tiny home at a time having a board game night. Yeah. And it's quite comfy still. Is that about capacity? I think we could get like eight to 10 before it felt crowded. Yeah. Six is nice. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, this is, the, it feels full mm. in a good way. Um, so that was a big one. We kept both of those. The big one for us was uh, clothes. We did not realize how many clothes we'd collected throughout the years. Yeah. Until we went, like my entire wardrobe, winter, summer, everything uh, currently fits into four boxes i suppose you'd call them that are about two feet by one foot Mm -hmm. and maybe a foot and a half high 
Uh, and then under the bed, we have a big slide-out drawer. So what we have in the big slide-out drawer is we rotate the seasons. So oh, currently yeah. we're in winter. All our summer stuff's under the bed because yeah. we're not going to wear it. Yeah. We're not going to wear board shorts for quite a while or, mm. or singlets. And then all the stuff that we're going to wear now is in these little cabinets. Yeah, cool. Uh, so it's been working out really well. The, the big personal one that we had to figure out how to fit in or we didn't have to, it was meaningful for me. Yeah. Uh, I play guitar. I play music. Yeah. I was like, I really want to have these in here. Yeah. So at the end of the bed, we figured we had just enough room. I can put my acoustic guitar in a case and then on top of it, I can have my banjo in a case yep. and then above that, I can have a ukulele. And so I've been able wow. to fit three instruments into it. That would be tricky because yeah. you want things that, you know, that mean a lot to you. Exactly. But you don't want to be selfish and have something that's going to annoy your partner. Exactly. So you've got to kind of compromise. The, the, I mean, the tri- struggle that she loves the guitar, well, loves the ukulele. Cool. She's like, loves hearing me play. It's really nice to have live music in the space. The challenge was the banjo. <laughs> really? <laughs> Where, uh, Why? I, because of the sight. It's, they're small, aren't they? They're smaller, but because of the sound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my wife, Siobhan, uh, she's like, oh, a banjo? All I can think of is redneck sort of country, country yeah. music. Uh, now, has she, because... The, the guitars obviously mean a lot to you. Yeah. So you've kind of compromised and been like, babe, I really like these guitars. Yeah. Um, now, what's she brought that is kind of like, because I would imagine from her perspective, she'll be like, okay, well, if Declan's going to have these guitars, that means I can kind of have something that takes up that much space. A bit too. of space too. Yeah, yeah. So she's got definitely a bigger wardrobe allowance than I oh, have. Yep. That definitely starts. Yep. Although she's half my size, she seems to have twice <laughs> as many clothes. Um, but she's also, you know, in a earlier in her life, she was a chef and loved cooking. And so we were really intentional about how are we going to use the kitchen space nice. and still have this as sort of an expression of creativity for you and it's something that you like adding to the space. Mm. Um, so I'd say those are her big two. Yeah, nice. That's yeah. really cool. Um, I want to go back to happiness. Before we wrap things up, we've probably mm. got time for maybe one more thing. Fantastic. I wanted to ask you, based off all, like, all the clients that you've worked with mm. around happiness and stuff like that, um, I want you to give the listeners something that they can do to improve their happiness Mm -hmm. just from like one thing that they can do Mm. based off things that you've found that are really common Mm. amongst a lot of your clients that's maybe um, a quick fix or something that that they can start to implement today or tomorrow. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'll give them two. So, and I'll highlight on these, there's not going to be ever one technique that fulfills all happiness you know there's not a silver bullet yeah there's all things that make a difference but there's two that stand out to me as making a difference uh the first one is out of all of the techniques and strategies that have been researched in positive psychology this one is actually having the biggest effect on people's happiness like their subjective well-being how happy they rate their own life as um you may have heard of the book 10 percent happier Dan um, Harris, by Dan it? Harris. Yeah, so he haven't read it, but I've heard of it yeah struggled a lot with stress and anxiety and then started meditating and was like I feel 10 percent happier the technique I'm about to share with your listeners on average has been showing uh, an increase in happiness of 30 to 40%. So the cheeky part of me wants to write a book called 40% Happier and go into bookstores and sit it next to every copy of the 10% Happier book, but price it a dollar less. <laughs> and so people go in and go, well, I can be 10% happier for $25 or for 24, I can be 40% happier. 
the one that has been shown to make people up to 40% happier is a gratitude practice. Now, what I mean by a gratitude practice, it's not just occasionally thinking about what you're grateful for. It's quite an intentional practice. Mm. The one that's been used in the research is every day. Now, when I say every day, we're all human, we're going to stuff up and miss days. I'd mm. be lying to you and your listeners if I said I do this every day. Yep. Right? But most often, I'll do this in some way. Yep. So... At some point in the day, some people prefer morning, some people prefer evening. You sit down and you go, what are three things I'm grateful for today and why? And the why is the kicker because the why is what actually releases um, the neurochemicals associated with, happy, with happiness and with gratitude. Like just doing it to tick a box and say, I did my, happy, my gratitude journal doesn't make a huge difference. No. You've got to do the why. The cool thing about this practice is A, it's free. You get a pen and a notepad. Some people do it in their phone, right? Mm. It takes five to 10 minutes. Some people do really struggle with the blank canvas nature of that question. Yeah. What are three things I'm grateful for today? Oh my God, I don't know. Where do I start with that? Especially if you've had a tough day. Mm. So I tend to recommend for people, I personally use prompt questions. Yep. So the three I'll use are, what is a small moment I'm grateful for today that I might've otherwise overlooked? Right? It could just be some little moment that if I wasn't looking for it, it would've just passed me by. Second one, who is someone I'm grateful for today and why? And it can be someone close that I'm, you know, really connected with, or it can just be a passerby yeah. that I had a nice moment with. And the third one's the hardest, but I find the most beneficial. What's something about myself that I'm grateful for today and why? And why. Right? The important part is the why. The why. So the cool thing with that is if you consistently practice that, as I said, they found in three to four months, you could be up to 30 to 40% happier. Mm. So that's a huge one. If I could snap my fingers and everyone in the world did one practice to improve their happiness, that would be it. The beauty with that, if you are in a relationship, share it with your partner. They say a gratitude shared is a gratitude doubled. Nice. Right? So it's nice, especially what I find that second question, who is someone I'm grateful for today and why? Lately, I've been intentional about like not just writing it down, but actually telling them. Yeah. You know, my one the other night was I was really grateful for a friend of mine who really upholds integrity. He's decisive and when he says he's going to do something, I know 100% he's going to show up and do it. And I was like, yeah, I'm really grateful for that in him. I was like, hang on, he should know this. Yeah. So next time I caught up with her, I was like, hey man, just as a heads up, like there's something I'm really grateful for in you. And it was a nice moment for us to connect. That is really nice. Right, so that's the first one. Everyone should be doing a gratitude journal. Gratitude practice. Your second one, measure and track your happiness. Now what I mean by that is, think of the saying, what we measure, we can manage. Yeah. Most people don't know where their happiness is at until it hurts. Yeah. They don't know where their mental health is at until they're stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, depressed, burnt out. Mm -hmm. And then they try and reactively fix it. Now, that's a reflection of our approach to mental health and well-being in society. I think it needs to change. But it's also a reflection of people are flying blind with their happiness. So what we did at BU recently, which I'm so proud of, is we partnered with some universities and we went, is there a way to build an evidence-based, scientific, proven happiness scorecard that people can take and it spits out a seven-page report that says this is exactly how happy you are, this is why you're this happy, these are the different types of happiness and how you score in each of them because there's more than one type of happiness. These are your greatest happiness strengths. Please keep doing them because they're helping you a lot. And these are your happiness growth opportunities where maybe you scored a bit lower, but you could improve them. So we set out to build that last year. And as of a couple months ago, we did it. Nice. We launched it to the world. We've decided that this is something that is really meaningful to us that we know is going to make a difference in the world. So we've decided for life to give it away for free. That's so people amazing. can take it as much as they want. We recommend doing it every six months yep. um, for people. We've also decided as part of our ripple effect of wanting to make a difference in the world, every time someone does their happiness scorecard, it's not just good for them. 
we also provide um, a meal to someone in need. So it's literally making the world a happier place. And so for people who want to do that and track it, as I said, I mean, it's free. You go wild as many times mm-hmm. as you want. Uh, you can either go to www.happinessscorecard.com.au. We'll put the link in the show notes, yep. I imagine. Yep. Um, that's probably the best way to do it. Or you can go to our website, bucoaching.org. It's all on there. You can find out more about it. Cool. Um, but we've had such beautiful stories of people using it with their partners to then facilitate deeper conversations about how they contribute to each other's happiness. That's, a, that's really cool. We've heard different like families of different generations sitting down over dinner and talking about how happiness is different for each of them. That's like cool. the level of introspection and awareness that comes from it and clarity. So you're not guessing what's going to make you happier. Mm. Honestly, like if I, I said to the team the other day, if I were to like touch wood, hopefully it doesn't happen, but if I was to die soon, I would feel like I've made a difference in the world literally because of this happiness scorecard. If that's the thing that we're remembered by and that outlives all of us, I'm a happy man. Wow. So for everyone listening, obviously, yeah, feel free to take it. It's, We'll give it away and you can go wild on it. I can't wait to actually do it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, I'm keen, man. We'll get it we'll get it organized. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks heaps for coming on the show, man. Um, where do you want to send the listeners? I know you mentioned the website and the happiness scorecard. Do you want to give um social media handles or anything? Yeah, so the happiness scorecard on the website are great places to start. Mm. Uh obviously you can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Declan Edwards underscore BU, so just the letters BU. Uh, or you can search for BU Coaching on Facebook. As we spoke about a bit today, I'm very sporadic on it, so don't expect a lot of content, but expect quality content. Nice. Uh, if you want to get more content and stuff around happiness and practical tips to be a happier person, I've also got my own podcast, which is BU with Declan Edwards, uh, which is all about yeah improving your personal development, your well-being, and your happiness journey. Great. All right, so if you got this far on the podcast, guys, the next podcast you're going to be listening to is going to be Declan's. Go yeah, and check it out. All right, thanks, Ace Brother. It's been really good. Mate, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, guys, if you enjoyed this, please take a screenshot and share it. I'd love to see who's listening. And also, please subscribe and give a rating on iTunes. Sending positive vibes to everyone out there. Thanks, Ace, for listening.